Morning, guys. Good morning. Yeah, I have a game for you to help time pass. We can play. Let's see how long it takes for him to kick that over. Um, that will keep you guys engaged. So, um, I'm fighting with a little bit of a cold. Um, when, you have, when you have little kids, it just seems you cycle through different variations of cold. So um, I don't know what variation we are uh, going through, but um, we're dealing with it right now. My, my name is Chilobi Colombo. Um, for those of you who don't know who I am, which is probably most of you uh, in here this morning, um, my wife, Megan, and I, I think I have a picture of our family. Uh, we go to uh, the Spring Branch uh, campus. Uh, we're members of the Bayou City Fellowship uh, family. Uh, we have three kids, uh, Caleb, my oldest, uh, who turns six, uh, August the 15th. Him and I are going to go see Grandpa in Zambia. I'm from Zambia. I was born and raised in Zambia. Uh, and so him and I are going to go see Grandpa for his uh, sixth birthday. Uh, Eliana just turned four. She's pretty tall for a four-year-old. She's in the 98th percentile, actually. So I'm hoping she'll be a volleyball player. So we're, we're, we'll see. Um, and then um, Naomi, our youngest. I think I have a little bit of feedback. Naomi, our youngest. Um, she was born January 21st uh, of 2016, which is a very special day uh, for me. Uh, because it is the day uh, that my mother, she died January 21st, 2010. So uh, that day, um, the Lord did indeed uh, turn our uh, mourning into gladness. Um, and so we just thank God uh, for that. Um, I thank God for the opportunity to be here this morning. Uh, we've been on this uh, campus before. Uh, as a matter of fact, when my wife and I uh, were looking for a church, uh, this was the campus that we first visited. Uh, and the moment we stepped into the room, we said, man, we want to be part of this family. It's a little bit far to drive. Uh, we live in Sugarland, and we didn't know about the Spring Branch campus, so we were a little bit discouraged until we found out uh, that there is, in fact, a Spring Branch campus. So um, I... Uh, I feel honored to be here this morning. Um, I am always very fond of this place. Uh, I will go on record that Spring Branch is also pretty awesome uh, because I know this sermon is being recorded this morning, so I don't want anybody from Spring Branch to think um, I have a certain disposition towards one campus. Uh, but I do uh, uh, love this place. I, I love the folks here. You guys are just so uh, warm and welcoming. So um, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here this morning. Uh, we are starting a series. It's called The Psalm and the Psalmist. Um, uh, predominantly going to be talking about David, although um, uh, Moses and there are a couple other people that wrote uh, psalms. Um, but this morning I wanted to talk a little bit about um, kind of the life of David, uh, kind of as an overview of some of the desires that David had um, and the disappointments that he faced uh, when he couldn't uh, in fact, accomplish that which um, he desired. Uh, I'm sure many of us are familiar uh, with disappointment and discouragement. And so my hope and prayers this morning as we uh, traverse through this text uh, that God speaks to each and every one of us um, at our point of need. Uh, so if you have your text, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, um, it's a mouthful, so I'm going to skip uh, a little bit of the verses in the middle um, so that um, you guys don't get too bored with a whole bunch of scripture. Um, let's start with verse 1 through 6. The Bible says, Now it came to pass when the king, who was David, was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies all around, and that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside the tent curtains. 
Then Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night when the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? Let's jump to verse 12. When your days, it's talking about David, are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up, uh, set up a seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for, for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Amen. Let's open in a word of prayer. Um, God, this morning, um, help us, um, help me to remember um, that at the end of the day, God, it's all about your name being glorified. Um, and it's all about showing your love to your people. So help us this morning to glorify your name, God, and to experience your love in the circumstances and the situations in our lives. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I went to boarding school in, in Choma uh, back in 1990, um, and I, I, had a, I had a cousin, uh, sorry, an uncle, my, my mom's brother, uh, favorite uncle, uh, part of the reason he was a favorite uncle because he was the wealthiest uncle, uh, and so we we all really liked him uh, a lot. Um, he lived not too far from Choma Secondary School, where I went to boarding school, uh, about a five mile or five or six mile walk from um, from uh, my boarding school. Um, he had four kids at that time: a young one who was uh, maybe about six months or so, six or seven months old. So when I when I went to go visit her, she she was sick. And my uncle used to always say, well, you need to come and visit your cousin. You need to come and visit your cousin. Uh, finally got around to doing it. Uh, I think it was about January or February of 1991. Um, she had been sick for, for a little bit. Uh, and I got there. I got to the house. Uh, she's been sick for a while, actually. I got to the house. Uh, and I held her in my hands. My aunt, uh, his wife, uh, placed her in my hands. And I held her. I sang to her uh, for about half an hour or so. And then she got peaceful. And I remember telling my my aunt, um, I think she's asleep. So my aunt came and picked her up, uh, looked at her a little bit, walked, took her back into the back bedroom, uh, called my uncle back in the room, uh, and then shortly thereafter I heard um, wailing and crying. Uh, unbeknownst to me, my uh, uh, cousin had died in my arms. I remember the conversation I had with my aunt when I was there that day while I was holding her. Uh, she seemed very nostalgic, and she was saying, well, I, I'm just sure God is going to, I know God is going to take care and watch over my kids. She had three other kids. My, um, my, my, my God is going to watch over my kids. I, I, I didn't know exactly why she said what it is she said. Um, I would come to realize later on, and it would make sense to me, uh, because within 18 months, uh, both her and my uncle, her husband, were dead. In the early 90s, uh, HIV and AIDS was just uh, showing up on the scene in, in, in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, and a lot of people didn't know what, what it was. Um, uh, there was no history uh, of it, um, and it had baffled a lot of the medical doctors. And because uh, there, was, um, um, his, there was no history and people didn't know what was going on, um, in sub-Saharan Africa, in Africa in general, um, if people can't explain it with medicine, uh, they attribute it to witchcraft. And so um, they, the, the, I, the, the thought was that um, they died because of some sort of witchcraft. And the implication of that is that the, the kids carried that stigma uh, of a family that was under a spell. 
and so naturally, nobody wanted to assume responsibility of those kids because they didn't want the risk of uh, falling under that spell. Um, but because my uncle had wealth, uh, the folks on, his, on, on, on my, my aunt's side of the family, uh, his wife, uh, the, the grandparents uh, took the kids in probably because they wanted the wealth. Um, actually, it was because of the wealth because we would come to realize later uh, that they didn't take care of those kids at all. They lived with him for about five years. I had moved to the United States by then. Um, and by the time word had gotten to my parents, my mom and dad, of the condition that they were in, uh, my parents went to go see them. Uh, they found that they had not been in school for five years. They had found that they were not allowed to um, uh, mingle or, or, or play with their friends or their, their, their cousins. Um, they found that they were not even staying inside a house. They had built some kind of outhouse for them. Of three of them. Uh, they found them to have social anxiety disorder. They found them to be really traumatized. Uh, my parents obviously couldn't leave them, so they decided to take them. Um, it took a while to negotiate that, but they did finally take all three of them, and they lived with my parents. I was already in the United States going to, to college by then. Um, a number of years, I mean, they, 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 they excelled. Thanks, thanks be to God, they did, in fact, excel. I have a picture of, of, of the extended family. There, there they are. The, it's the th- three of them on either side. So on the left side, wearing a pink, is the youngest. Her name was Nanyemba. Um, the blue one, wearing a blue shirt, is Saul. And on the right-hand side is Mutinta. Those were the three siblings. Uh, the rest of the folks in the picture, my, my sister, uh, my dad's on the left-hand side next to my cousin, um, my, bro- my brother-in-law and my sister obviously were getting married. My brother is in white because he has no tact, and he doesn't know that you can't wear, you can't wear white to somebody's wedding, but he did it. Uh, that's my grandmother uh, uh, on my mother's side um, who, who has lived a pretty uh, interesting and a difficult life. She obviously had to bury her son, my uncle. She had to bury her husband, my grandfather, uh, but she also had to bury my mother and my mother's sister all in the same week. She had my, my mom died in a car accident on January 21st, 2010, uh, um, like I said, which is the same day my daughter was born. Um, and so that following week, uh, my grandma had to bury her eldest daughter on a Tuesday and had to bury my mother on a Thursday. So... She's seen some stuff. And then I had to be different, obviously, and I'm the one that's kneeling in the middle. It's amazing. Um, there's another picture, uh, if you have that. Um, this picture is Nanyemba. Nanyemba is the youngest, the one on the left-hand side. Um, these kids, in spite of having to skip five years of education, uh, managed to excel. And they both graduated from the University of Zambia. There's only one major university in Zambia. It's highly competitive to get in. They both graduated from the University of Zambia. And Nanyemba, uh, on May, in May this year, I went to her graduation uh, from graduate school in Philadelphia, where she graduated with a master's in business and, I think, uh, urban health studies or something like that. Um, so the Lord has been gracious. And I, and I say this uh, not to garner any sympathy uh, from folks, um, but I say this um, to, to recognize how good God is and to recognize the, the, the reality of the, of the fact that you know, in, in this life we're going to face a lot of trials and tribulations, but we should be of good cheer uh, because God has indeed overcome. The Bible 
gives us great history here. It's full of stories of folks who had low points in their lives and, and, and shows us how they dealt with them. Um, all the way back to Adam. Um, Adam started out with a perfect relationship with a perfect God and a not-so-perfect garden, obviously, uh, because the devil was, was there, the snake, but it was still, uh, it was still in the utopia of, of, of a garden. And, and he went from kind of a perfect fellowship with God to being cast out of this garden, having to deal with the death of one son and another son being gone, gone to exile. The Bible tells us the story of Abraham. Uh, Abraham was a, was, was, had, a, had a covenant relationship with God where all mankind was going to be blessed through him. And, and he went from this mountaintop experience on Mount Moriah where God provided for him to then having to come down from that experience and having to spend the rest of his days separated from his wife Sarah who moved to Hebron and her, his son Isaac and he stayed in the Negev. Moses. Moses was called a friend of God. Moses had a, 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 a special relationship with God. And God had selected him to, to take his children from bondage. He had heard their cry for over 350 years. He heard their cry, and he provided them uh, Moses. Moses saw the mighty hands and the mighty works of God in, the life, in his life and in the life of the children of, of Israel. But yet he never got the experience to go into promised land. He died right before he entered the very land that he wanted to take the children of Israel. So the list goes on and on from Job to Jonah, from Saul to Solomon. People who had to deal with disappointment and discouragement in our life. And then there's the man of the hour or half an hour because we have half an hour to talk about David. But the man of this half an hour, David... A young 16-year-old boy who received a double anointing from God to be a worshiper and to be a warrior. A man who saw great success with the famous victory over Goliath and many wars that David had success. A man who had success in bringing together the, north, the northern and the, and the southern kingdom. A man who was of great wealth and influence. And yet, the very thing, the one thing that David desired the most, God would say no to. See, David very desperately wanted to build a temple to house the ark of the Lord. And he was convinced that he was the man to do it. David says in Psalms chapter 27, 4, he said this. He said, one thing that I have desired of the Lord that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days and behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. And the story we've just read in 2 Samuel narrates what happens. David approaches Nathan, and says, I want to build a, a house for the ark of the Lord. Nathan originally says yes, but then he goes and inquires of the Lord, and the Lord comes back and says no. It is not my intention for David to build, despite David's best intentions. God knew that David had some baggage, and God knew that David, over the course of his, king, his kingship, would, would even acquire even more baggage. But even though God denies David this opportunity of the very thing that he wants, God will honor David's heart, and he will promise that a Messiah would come through his lineage. David is undoubtedly disappointed by the news, and he has a choice that he needs to make. He can take these, this perceived rejection from God, and it can cause him to give up or to shut down. Would David respond like Jonah when he perceived rejection from God, and he went and sat down at a tree and asked God to die? Would he respond like Solomon 
after his heart had been turned away from God. And the Bible says that he, he, he built, he built uh, uh, um, places of worship for other gods. And at the end of his life, Solomon, after everything that God had shown him and the wisdom that he got, he would conclude that everything in life was meaningless. He gave up. Or would David trust Yahweh through the process even though he didn't see the big picture? The truth of the matter is if God gives us grace to live long enough, we will experience some pretty messed up stuff. It might not be giants. It, it, it might not be wars. It, it might not be murder like David did. But the question still remains, what do we do when we don't see what God's doing in our life? What do we do when we're faced with a crisis in our health? What do we do when we face with a crisis in our finances? What do we do when we're faced with a relationship that's crumbled? What do we do when we've lost a loved one? What do we do when we've lost the opportunity that we thought we had in ministry, in our vocation, in our career, in our business? Because how we respond, how you and I respond is incredibly important, not just to us, but for the crowd of witnesses and the people that we have in our circle of influence. See, David would go through some trying times in his kingship. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. But eventually, God would come through and work things out for David. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, by way of context, um, this, this, in, this exchange that David has with his son Solomon, his son Solomon is, is, is the son that David had with Bathsheba. We'll talk about her in a little bit. But, but this exchange that David has uh, happens about 30 years or so after David initially wants to uh, build a temple. And this is how it goes. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 5 to 8. I need to find it, I guess. It says this. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. And I will now make preparations for it. And so David made abundant preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have made great wars. You, should, you shall not build a house for me in my name because you have shed much blood in the earth and in my sight. Verse 11, and now, my son, David is addressing Solomon, may the Lord be with you and may he prosper and, and may, may he be with you and may he prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you may prosper, and if you take great care to fulfill the statutes and the judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. So be strong and be of good courage. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. What makes this conversation so amazing is a set of circumstances that have led to this conversation. Like I said, it's been about 30 years, and a whole lot has happened from this young, prideful, bashful uh, king in David that we knew to the man that's having a conversation with Solomon right now. The Bible tells us that David would commit a sin against God. He would kill his general named Uriah all for the sake of lust. 
And he will take his, his, his wife Bathsheba, who he will later have a, a, a child Solomon, who he's having this conversation with. But he would kill a man to take his wife. Not only would David kill a man to take his wife, but he would mishandle the, the rape of his daughter Tamar. And that would cause some consternation within the children of David to the extent that there's a lot of murder and killing that happens. Absalom would kill Amnon. Absalom then, because he has no more respect for his dad, would try to usurp the kingdom and take the kingdom from David. The Bible also tells us that David at some point is filled with so much pride that he has a census. And because of that census, that census leads to the death of a lot of people. And so David has a whole lot of uh, 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 blood on his, on his hands. And he is now coming back from exile because Absalom wanted to usurp and had taken the kingdom over for a little bit. Absalom is murdered. And David comes back into the kingdom. But David comes back with a whole new perspective. See, David had this amazing gift. Throughout the, his lifetime, he was able to capture the, 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 his highs, his lows, his experiences, the good, the bad, into song. And we're going to talk about these psalms. But David does the same thing with the conversation that he's having with his son. He captures everything that the discouragements and the disappointments that he has. And he, he captures them in solemn instructions to his son Solomon, which we'll see now here, in, which we see right, right here in chapter 22. Solomon, God has given you this incredible opportunity and this incredible gift to build him a temple and to be part of an eternal legacy where the Messiah will come from. So you must seek wisdom. You must keep the law of the Lord and do not be afraid. But not only does David give Solomon these instructions, David just does not stop at words, but he follows up with, with, with action. David will dedicate the remainder of his life, which is about eight years or so, to lay the groundwork, not just for Solomon, but for future generations. And we see that in chapters 23 through 27, where it, it, it talks about everything that, that David does. He organizes the Levites. He organizes the musicians. He, he lines up the army to follow, to follow Solomon. He, he organizes all his wealth. And in chapter 28, David will hand all of this to his son Solomon, the resources and the plans to build the temple. See, God told him no about building the temple. But that didn't stop David's resolve to work through what he perceived as rejection from God. And so even with the no that he got from God, his desire was to see a temple built for, for the Lord. And so this perceived no, he still turned that into a plan that he handed his son Solomon. David realizes what you and I perhaps would be better realizing sooner than later. That God's purposes and his plans are his. And sometimes when our purposes and our plans clash against God, God's purposes and plans will always win. But in the midst of the rejection that we might perceive, God's promise to us is eternal. And God will always keep his word and his promise to us. And so if we yearn to see the promise of God, the promises of God realized in both our lives and the lives of the people that are coming behind us, we have to learn to be intentional about our faith. Not just talk about our faith, but to live out our faith. 
And the reason for that is there's always somebody watching us, especially in our circle of influence, especially for people like me who have kids. There are always people watching. How do we deal with perceived rejection and disappointment from God? And their perception of God will be greatly influenced by how they see our response to the disappointments and the discouragements and the highs of this life that we've, that, that we've chosen to walk with God. See, see, the legacy of our faith is fortified when it's not just taught, but it's demonstrated. Our words will only carry um, weight if they're matched with deeds. And that's what James says simply, right? In James chapter 2, verse 17, that faith without works is what? It's dead. Our faith can only be manifested when it's followed up with deeds. Let me close by saying this. My, my mom, when I was a kid, had always said, and God has told me that you will be a teacher or a preacher. Now, to somebody, uh, and, and, and she would say, and not only are you going to be a teacher and a preacher, but you're going to do this. You're not going to do this in Zambia. Now, you tell that to a, a kid in a third world country in rural Zambia, and a kid who has a speech impediment, it was nice to hear, but I never really believed it. it. It was always in the back of my mind. And even when I moved to the United States and I started my, I went to school and I started my career, my mom would always say, you know, God has, God has a plan for you. I know it. God has assured me that he has a plan for you. You're going to teach. You're going to preach. You're going to speak at some point. And I would always say, yeah, mom, I hear it, but, you know, I'm kind of pursuing my career right now. We'll wait. My mom would never hear me preach. In fact, the first sermon that I preached was over the casket of my mom in Zambia. I don't claim to have a whole lot of theology, but I do believe in my heart of hearts that God somehow allowed my mom from the other side of heaven to peer through the curtains of heaven and to see her son preach. And that day, the legacy that my mom left, her favorite verse had always been, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good of them that love the Lord and the called according to his purpose. And that day I, I, I preached from that over her casket. And, and I said to people, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand. But I believe because my mom believes. And this is the legacy in our family and all things, even in death, even in disappointment, even in discouragement, happen for good for them that love the Lord and the called according to his purpose. If you know anything about the covenants that God gave to the people of old. There are four unconditional covenants. There was a covenant that God gave Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, there's a covenant that God would give Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30. There's a covenant that we read about in 2 Samuel 7 that God would give David. And there was a covenant in Jeremiah 31 that God would give Jeremiah. All these covenants that God gave, the people who God gave these covenants never saw them to fruition. They never saw the fulfillment of the promises that they received. Abraham would die with only one child of promise in Isaac. Moses would die at the cusp of entering the promised land. David would die before he saw the, he saw the temple being built, before he saw the Messiah come who was promised him. And Jeremiah would die while the northern and the southern kingdom were still separated even though the covenant that he received was the restoration of all the, of the kingdoms of God. And Paul would say in Hebrews chapter 11 that it was for this very reason that they were counted as righteousness. 
Because to them, the faith, the word that they received was the substance of everything that they hoped for. In other, in other words, what God gave them, the word that God gave them, they lived by that word as if it was. And it was the evidence of that which they did not see. And because of that, God gave them a good testimony. He counted it to them as righteousness. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 says this, that these men who received the word from God all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar and were assured of them. They embraced them and they confessed them as if they were strangers in the land. The, the truth of the matter is that you and I will never know entirely what God's up to. Some of the things God will give us privy to, but most of the stuff in the grand picture, the grand scheme of things, we will never see what God's up to in our lives and the lives of, the, of, of, our, of our loved ones. And our faith sometimes will be littered by disappointment and discouragement. But because of the work that Christ did on the cross, it will never be littered with failure. Because he who began a good work in us will be faithful to bring it to fruition. God is not a man that he should lie. His promises are yes and amen. And he's given us a promise, not only of salvation, but that he would be with us to the ends of the earth. The, the ends of the earth. And God would never fall back on his word. So what is our response then when we deal with discouragement and disappointment? Are we to give up? Or are we to follow David's example and live two ways? Have a faith that is well lived and a legacy that is well left. Our faith, the faith that you and I share has always survived on this. It's always survived on men and women who by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit have traversed through difficulties and disappointments because of the word of the Lord that they've stood on. You and I are called to do the same thing in the circumstances and the situations that we face. God expects us to do that, but God will also give us the power to do that. And so my hope and my prayer this morning is that God grants you and I in the midst of the disappointment, the discouragement, the uncertainty of our lives, that God will give us the power all by his Holy Spirit that we trust, that we stand on his word, and that we believe that his word is yes and amen. That the pain that we feel, the uncertainty that we feel, is not a surprise to God. Never has been, never will be. The very purpose he died on the cross for you and I, the very purpose that he lived on the side, so that he could experience that those things that befall us, those emotions that we experience, and he has gone before us. And he can give us the strength by the power of his Holy Spirit to endure. I challenge us this morning to trust God. He's called us to do that. He'll give us the strength to do it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Not only the truth in your word, but the example that you've given us of men and women who have had to deal with this thing called life. But I thank you that there's a hope and there's a future for those that are found in you. So this morning, God, we just pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you minister to us the point that we need you, God. We love you and we honor you and we thank you because of the work of the cross. 
We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.